Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Uh, if you're new with us, that was our bumper to our new sermon series, God, Me, and Read. You know, when we were talking about the sermon series and our teaching team, the same kind of words kept saying prefix, right? That prefix, the, that element that goes before a word and kind of has dominion over the word. It can change it, make it mean something completely different, or it can just sort of qualify it or modify it. And what we're trying to capture here is that we want God to be the prefix of our lives, that he comes before, that he has dominion of, and that he can make radical changes if need be, or qualify things, modify things in our lives, so that, that everything in our lives stems from and is shaped by God. That's what we're after. And so last week, uh, Ty kicked us off, did a great job looking at recalculating, recalculating. And the idea was that the start matters. The start matters. We, we can have goals, we can have aspirations, we can have 2019 resolutions, but if that's starting from a place of pride or vain conceit or selfish ambition, well, then we're going to get wildly off course, and we need to reconnect with God, just like with a GPS system. We need to recalculate, get back on course with God, and make sure that we are pursuing Him and his righteousness. Make no mistake, that's what we're after. God and his righteousness. So this morning, we're going to continue on in that theme, and we're going to be looking at reprioritizing. Reprioritizing. Uh, but before we dive into all of that, as is our usual custom, let's go before our God in prayer, asking his blessing over us. Father God, pour out your spirit on us. Help us to hear from you. Help us to leave everything else behind and focus on you. Capture our hearts and our minds. Everything that we just sang about you, God, may that be a true expression of our spirits. In your name I pray, amen. Uh, You can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. It's going to be our primary text. It's also going to be up on the screen. Philippians chapter 3 beginning in verse 4. And these are the words of the Apostle Paul. He says this, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ. This is a man who is re-evaluating and reprioritizing his life. All those things that he put so much confidence in that he deemed as important, he now regards as garbage. In fact, I think the Apostle Paul uses a stronger word there than garbage. But that captures the idea, right? This hierarchical structure that he set up is completely upended when he knows Christ. You know, I think that there are natural times in a life where we start to reevaluate things. Your deathbed might be one. You start to look back at your life and go, did I live it well? 
Did I prioritize things well? Or did I spend too much of my time and too much of my energy, too much of my attention, too much of my worry on things that don't really matter and aren't really important? Midlife crisis is another kind of common one. You get to a place in your life and start looking around going, is this my life? Is this what I want to do with my life? You know, I had goals. I had aspirations. You know, I was going to have this kind of job or this kind of car. I was going to see the world or whatever it is. You start thinking about your life going, is this all my life is? Young people too, they, they have a time, I think, of reevaluation when they have to make decisions. They go, what kind of vocation am I going to have? What are my interests? What are my passions? Are those my passions? Do I have passions? Should I go to college? Should I not go to college? What should I major in? Who should I marry? And we we fret over all of this because it's important. And we ask God, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Like it's a mystery. I don't think it's actually a mystery, not in regards to what's important, at least. I think God actually makes that pretty clear to us. He says things like this, Leviticus, be holy because I am holy. Jesus says in Matthew, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He says in 1 Timothy, flee from evil, pursue righteousness. He says in Ephesians, put off your old self, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. It says in 1 Peter, don't conform to the evil desires, but just as who called you as holy, you be holy in everything that you do. He says in 2 Peter, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. Thessalonians says, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. You see a theme emerging here? God, what do you want me to do with my life? Live it righteously. That's what he says in many different ways. Over and over and over and over again, it is almost as if he thinks it's important. Should I live here or there? Be righteous. Should I take this job or that job? Be righteous. What should I do with my time? Be righteous. What should I do with my money? Be righteous. First Corinthians says this, chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Colossians says something very similar. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do. The important thing there is righteousness. Now, there can certainly be times where God has a specific call on our lives, and we need to respond in obedience to that. And it's certainly worthwhile to take everything to him in prayer, to pray about whatever's on our hearts and our minds, to ask for God's direction and guidance. You know, at TCC, we're we're in a season of doing that, where we're very intentionally praying to God, asking for his wisdom, asking for his leadership, his direction, his guidance. That's appropriate and worthwhile to do. 
And there are plenty of times in Scripture in which God very specifically says to certain people, you go here, you go there, you do this, you say this, talk to this person. But the important thing here is that we're looking at priorities. Priorities. You know, every single one of us is going to face God in judgment. We're going to stand before our Creator. And we're going to have to give an account of our lives. I could be wrong, but I don't think he's going to ask us, did you pick the right college? Did you select the right major? Did you get the right job? Did you meet your personal goals? Were you well-traveled? Were you cultured? Were you well-read? Did you keep your 2019 resolutions? Did you get your beach body? Were you successful in business? Were you respected by your peers? I don't think he's going to ask any of that. Did you know Christ? And did you live a life in pursuit of righteousness? So I think that's his priority. And if our priority is not God's priority, then we need new priorities. We need to do away with the worthless garbage and pursue God and his righteousness. So how do we do that? I mean, that's a good starting place, right? How do we do that? How do we continue in that? How do we sustain that? You know how they do uh, television ratings? There's a company called Nielsen's, the Nielsen Ratings, and what they do is they select households, and they're trying to get a good sample of the country, and these households become Nielsen families, and they go in there, and they install in every single television in the home a monitoring device so that they can tell who's watching, when they're watching, and what they're watching. And they compile all of this from the Nielsen families, and from that they extrapolate out, just like we do with polling, And they're getting a good idea then of what the country is watching. That's really important for advertisers and content providers. But it's kind of interesting because if you think about the the new Nielsen families, they're very much aware that what they're watching is being monitored. And so what can tend to happen is they start to change their viewing habits. They're going to watch the shows that are a little bit more sophisticated or edifying or award-winning shows, right? The shows that they think they're supposed to like. And they keep that up for a time. But what almost inevitably happens is that they either forget that they're being monitored or they more likely just don't care. And they go, forget it. I'm watching The Bachelor. I like The Bachelor. I'm watching Survivor. I like it. I'm watching my 300-pound life. I like the show. I'm going to watch the show. Right? They can put on airs for a time. But they're going to go back to the television shows that they actually like and want to watch. You know, we can uh, reprioritize, but what can tend to happen is we go back to what we love. Because what you love automatically prioritizes your life. And there's a reason why the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and how all the other laws and the prophets hang on that. Because if you get that right 
everything else falls into place. You know, I don't think that there's anything, as far as a discipline goes, that more uh, rightly prioritizes things for us than worship. That outward expression of love and adoration and devotion for God. But worship can be a problem, especially for non-believers. It's really bothersome. Because you think, what kind of being commands that you love him? Love the Lord your God is a command. Right? What kind of person commands that you love him, demands that you worship him, and is very upset and angry when you don't? That doesn't work for any other relationship. We don't take kindly to that. You love me, I command it. Is God uh, egotistical? Is he narcissistic? Is God just really insecure, just needs constant affirmation? Oh, we love you, we love you. You know, that's what some people actually think. I think that's coming from a fundamental misunderstanding of the nature of God. And we need to get this right. So let's understand this. God is good. God is good. And it's really important to understand this in a theological and philosophical sense. When we say that God is good, we don't mean simply that he's behaving himself. We don't mean that God is acting goodly, like he's living up to some sort of external standard. Because if that were the case, then there's something that's above God. There's something superior to God. There's something over God that he's accountable to. No, God is not living up to a standard. God is the standard. God is good. He is good incarnate. He is good embodied. As, as the tuning fork is intrinsically in tune, God is intrinsically good. It's in his nature. He's the embodiment of holiness. He's the embodiment of righteousness that seeps from his pores. Everything then that comes from him is good. Everything he thinks is good. Everything he says is good. Everything he does is good. Everything that is of him is good. Everything that is not of him is evil because he is good. He is the standard. And that's why... It can be and needs to be a moral imperative to love him. Because if we're not, then it means that we don't really love goodness. And we don't really love righteousness. And we don't really love holiness. And we don't really love justice. And that's wicked. In fact, that's how the Bible talks about these things. It says in the Gospel of John here, John chapter 3, verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Right? If you don't love the light, that's because you're evil. It's a moral imperative to love God because God is good. And if we're loving something more than God, then we are loving something immeasurably lesser. Even the good things in life, even the best things in life, things like family and friends, 
You know, the value and worth of human beings is said to be the imago Dei, the image of God. That's the setup from the very beginning when God makes us in Genesis. Let's create man in our image, in our likeness. That's what sets us apart from the rest of creation. That's what gives us unique value and worth, and there are moral implications to that. Here's one of them. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. Why is murder wrong? Because we're made in the image of God. That's the moral implication to the intrinsic value of human beings that is connected to the image of God. That's our worth. That's our value. But we can love the image more than the thing itself. And that's just kind of silly. It's like rushing into a burning home, rescuing the family photos, and leaving the family among the blazes. That doesn't make sense. I mean, the only value in those images is in the greater value of the subject. You know, Dr. Thomas at Biola used to say something that stuck with me. He said, Christians can be okay with and fine with the idea that God deserves our love and our worship. We just don't think that he should want it. Like that he should be embarrassed or something. Like, ah, shucks, come on, guys. Stop it. It's too much. You know, that's never his response. Let's look at Revelation here. Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Day and night, never stopping. That's a picture for us of heaven. Now, maybe you hear that, and that excites you. And if it does, I think you got your priorities pretty well straight. But I'll be honest. Sometimes I read this and think, day and night, never stopping. That sounds monotonous. That feels boring. John Piper has an interesting quote. He says this, The critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven If Christ was not there. 
It's a good question. We know what the Sunday school answer is, but is that the honest one? You know, sometimes I think that we can approach God in sort of a utilitarian fashion. And eventually we're going to get to heaven and he's going to look at us and say, Yeah, you believed in me, you did, as your Savior. And you loved me. Some. But never well. I was always second to something else. Something else was always preeminent. Something else was always priority. Something else always reigned in your heart where I should have been. That scares me. So what do we do about it? What do we do? Well, do we know Christ? Even a little. Do we love him? At least some. That's a good start. Let's go back to Philippians here. Same chapter, verse 10. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I I press on to take hold of that which for Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Let us live up to what we've already attained. We know what it takes to know Christ better. We know what we ought to do. We know what our priorities ought to be. So no more excuses. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to be in prayer. I don't have time. I don't have time. No, no, no. Let's press on towards the goal, living up to what we have already attained. There's a movie called The Cool Runnings. You seen that? It's very, very, very loosely based on true events about the Jamaican bobsled team. And in the movie, there's a coach who's played by John Candy. And in the story, he's a, he's a two-time gold medalist in bobsledding. But he's later on disgraced because in one, his last race, he cheated, put weights on the bobsled. So he's banned from ever uh, participating again. And he becomes the coach of the Jamaican bobsled team. Well, the night before the big race, the leader, the driver of the Jamaican bobsled, he's in his room and he's studying the course. The coach comes in to check on him. And the driver wants to ask him a question. It's been eating him up inside, burning away. Coach senses this. And so he asks the question for him. He says... Why did I cheat? It's a fair question. And the answer is pretty simple, really. I had to win. See, I made winning my whole life, and when you make winning your whole life, there's not a lot of room for anything else. Well, that wasn't a good enough answer, really, because he, he, he did win. 
That's what the driver says to him. He says, but, but why? You, you had two gold medals. You had it all. And the coach says, a gold medal is a wonderful thing. But if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. Now, maybe that's a bit of humanism, but I think it gets accurately to the condition of the human heart. It never has its fill. It never says enough unless it's filled rightly. If God alone is not enough for you, then nothing will be. God can't tell you that there's something more worthwhile for you to worship, more worthy of your love or your adoration or your devotion or your dedication. He can't tell you that there's something more worthwhile for your time or your interest or your passion or your zeal because it's not true. Let's be people who are living lives of God's priorities. Let's live up to what we have already attained. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord and Creator, help us in this. Help us to live up to what we have obtained and refine us with your Spirit. Give us hearts that seek you. Give us minds focused on you. Help us to be kingdom-minded storing up treasures that last and living godly lives as we look forward to the day of your return or the day that you call us home. Sustain us in all ways with a passion, with a love, with a a zeal for you in everything that we do. In your name I pray. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.